This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 75 of Aviation Careers Podcast, the podcast where we give you an inside view into aviation careers and try to motivate you to go towards your career goal. I'm joined today by uh, extraordinaire flight instructor, uh, aerospace going. director, and just More. a great-looking guy, too, because yep. he's wearing a suit and tie today, Come on. Come uh, on. Eric Crump. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, welcome to the podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs> hey, you know, uh, today we have a lot of questions, a Q&A session again. Uh, I just want to apologize the fact that we haven't been able to get out uh, some of these episodes uh, every week like we wanted to do, but uh, we've had a lot of family issues and just dealing with that. So I'm definitely uh, committed to doing every other week. Also, want your opinion on uh, shorter episodes. Uh, a lot of times uh, I can only have time to put together maybe a half-hour episode. So I wonder what you think about doing something like that. Anyway, if you enjoy the podcast, please go to AV com and click on our sponsors. also want to bring your attention to the scholarships guide, which we're really working on and trying to get out in an ebook format, thanks to the suggestion here of Eric Crump and, and the people he's been listening to telling us, listen, we need to get that out there in a format uh, that everybody can look at. So there's been some challenges with the scholarships guide, actually uh, working with some of the scholarships that uh, things change on a, on a pretty consistent basis. So again, it's a full-time job, and the next we're hoping that next year we're going to have a one heck of a big guide so really excited about that anyway let's get started here uh one of the things i want to do is normally we start with some questions but i want to bring your attention to an article if you're uh, listening and you're looking at your computer go to takeflighttomorrow.org takeflighttomorrow.org is actually uh, put together by the regional airline association and uh, i'm not going to really read all of it but uh, one of the things that they're trying to do is uh, focus on this shortage of pilots and uh, qualified pilots at the regionals. Uh, they give some pretty interesting statistics, like uh, the number of pilots needed globally over the next 20 years is about 500,000, and the retirement at the top four U.S. major airlines alone over the next 10 years is going to be more than 18,000 uh, uh, people. Uh, the total pilots employed by the U.S. regional airlines, okay, remember that those are the people that, that go on to the majors, is fewer than 18,000. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. And by the way, it, the other statistics I think is really cool is a portion of the U.S. airports relying on regional airlines as a sole source of commercial airline service is 70%. Here's another interesting statistic that uh, might be mentioned in here. I'm not going to go over the whole article. You really need to go out there and read it. Uh, it, it comes from the viewpoint of the Regional Airline Association. Uh, so take that into, into your thinking when you're reading this article and reading the website. But think about this. United Airlines, uh, the majority of their flights are done by regional pilots. Uh, and that's flights, not passengers, remember. Uh, so uh, there's a number of pilots. Each each of those airplanes has to be filled with a pilot, obviously. So where are you going to see all the uh, all of the uh, uh, hiring is going to go on at the regionals? Uh, so I know a lot of people argue that there's no such thing as a pilot shortage. There's a, a shortage is a shortage. We like to call it a lack of qualified pilots. The term pilot shortage has become a political football, so we're going we're gonna to move away from that, and we're just going to call it a lack of qualified pilots. And it's out there. It's exciting. And you'll see from some of the questions that we get, uh, it's incredible seeing people that have choices. They're getting hired by three, four different airlines, three, four different majors, too, not just the regionals. Uh, but as far as a stepping stone, you're probably going to have to go to the regionals there. Uh, I know... Uh, Eric, we're not going to get into it too much, but you've seen this website. Uh, just quickly, what, what is your opinion of this website? I know there's a lot of information out there. Sure. Well, I, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes where we discussed this issue, and, and I'm going to acknowledge it right up front, too. Everybody's got a bias. I have a bias. RAA has a bias. Alpa has a bias. Carl is the most biased person I've ever met in my life. Did I say that out loud? Are you no, recording this? wait a minute. Um, no, so... Um, <laughs> You know, everybody has a bias. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm not throwing stones at listeners, but you have a bias. You know, you have, you when you come into an issue, and you're trying to make a determination about your opinion. You have to acknowledge the fact that you have a bias um, if you want to make a fair, uh, a fair judgment point. 
And, you know, in the information age, there are so many different opinions out there that sometimes it can get a little bit overwhelming, especially if you don't have that person or those people that you know that you can call and say, hey, you do this. You've been in this for 20 years. What's the truth? What's the what's the real situation going on? Um, and so that's why, um, not to bust up Carl's ego, because everybody knows Carl doesn't need a bigger ego than he has already. But that's why this podcast and, and those like it are so important, because it's a way to get that information out um, to you. So that's, that's the preliminary comment, I guess. My, my real comment is, it's true. I mean, there is a lack of qualified pilots. If you don't believe it, look at these airports that rely solely on regional service um, and I pick one. I don't know. Pick any of them and find me one that hasn't had a reduction in service in the last 12 calendar months. I mean, and you may be able to find one. There may be, there may be 20, but every one of them I'm aware of has seen some reduction in flights. And don't tell me it's because less people are flying because we all know that's not true. Um, economy's up. Earnings are up. Flying flight hours, um, seat miles have increased. Every airline's reported that. Don't tell me fewer people are flying. Um, it it is a lack of qualified pilots, plain and simple. Period. Um, and you know that's it. That's just an acknowledgement. Yes, this is true. Where everybody starts to really get stuck up is how we fix <laughs> the how we create a, a surplus or enough qualified pilots. And that's where everybody's bias is going to come in. Um, I respect the fact that um, RAA's push here um, is objective. There's a lot of links to outside information, sourced research studies, and I appreciate that. Um, I don't like hearing I believe or I think in an issue like this because, it, you know, and we've talked about this too, you are one person inside a, a big corporate operation that then feeds a huge global aerospace system. And pilots, those type A, I'm the captain mentality, sorry, you're not as important as you think you are. I mean, you're really not, and you need to understand that. So you think, you feel, okay, that's fine, but you've got to base that then with some other qualified opinions. And I respect the fact that that's objective. Um, I mean, there's bias. Of course there is. But I respect the fact that they're sourcing outside information. And I feel like, from a large perspective, that site and the links it contains are really intended to educate uh, the public, uh, lawmakers, and also people in your position, listeners, who are trying to figure out the truth, what is actually going on. So that's a really long answer to a short question. Sorry. Well, you know, Eric, I, I really appreciate your opinion on that. And uh, and I do really like what they've done here at the Regional Airline Association with this website. Uh, talking about the shortage, I know I've been blasted by a, a lot of different blogs and people concerning the shortage. Uh, yeah, there is one. Uh, but it's hard to come out and say that because it is a political football. There's a lack of qualified pilots, but we've seen shortages before. Uh, you know, people say there never have been, but the, yeah, there have been shortages. It's like in anything else. Uh, you know, I used to I used to trade seafood for a living, and you know, when we had shortages, then the prices went up of the seafood, and uh, and when we had gluts, then the prices went down. Uh, but we didn't hide under you know the sand, put our head under the sand, say that this isn't happening, this isn't happening, and uh, I think a lot of people take a stance based on what they're told by the people that they respect either in the media or in the organizations, say their union or their schools, you have to go out there and look at it for yourself. Will there be a glut? Yes, there will be because we'll have a war, we'll have a recession, there'll be a lot of people on the, on the street at some point. Is it happening right now? No. No, and you'll see that in some of the questions. There's just a there's an abundance of people getting hired right now. So uh, so yes, I, I know there's there's uh, some prolific bloggers that have have really uh, been uh, saying certain things, saying, "Well, the reason I'm doing this is, is for the money," and believe me, it isn't. I mean, it's uh, you know I I do make some money at this, but uh, I could go work for the airline for a day or two and make much more money than I I do uh, for a month doing this. So really, I'm doing this to help people. The purpose of this podcast, just to clarify is that when I was younger, I didn't have this information, and I wanted to give information to people about jobs in aviation, but not just flying jobs. You know, the flying jobs are the ones that people always ask the most questions about, but all jobs. And if I had this information, I probably would have started earlier uh, because of the fact that I know it takes a long time to get there, and, and it's it's like any other career that, that takes a lot of skill 
and takes a lot of education, uh, it's going to take a while till you actually start making money. You know, my father's a doctor, and he he didn't make money for years, uh, and because he had to go to medical school, and then he had to become an intern and a residency, etc. And then he started making some money. So it's the same in a lot of different careers. Uh, just like with an attorney, you're not going to make money right away. Uh, so just just remember that the the reason I'm doing this is to help you folks out, um, but uh, also. Uh, it, it actually satisfies me when I hear, you know, it's a little selfish. I like to hear the stories. Carl uh, only does this podcast so that periodically he could talk to me. That, well, that's I mean, one of the other and, reasons. And that's just that's the true. honest truth. It is nothing about the money um, <laughs> because Carl actually has to give me all of the money that he makes in order to convince me to, to do this podcast with him. So. Like the bills, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I need you to pay the electrical bill this month, and then we can do a podcast together. That's funny. So anyway, that that's uh, that's my stance, and I, I really, like I said, I do I do coaching. Yes, I get money for coaching. Uh, the membership on the site, I do make money on that too. Uh, for this is all full disclosure, but uh, but really, it's this is more of a passion for me, and I really really enjoy this. Um, but uh, anyway, moving on, let's go into some of the questions here, and uh, what I'm going to do. Oh, by the way, when you send in a question we edit this uh we've been doing this for the past six months we will take out your name unless you really want us to mention it uh and uh, i edit all the questions because i really you know your privacy is important to us and if like i said if you want to do something on a one-to-one basis we're we're available for that you can just contact us go to aviationcareerspodcast.com and uh, click on content oh the other thing by the way the pilot shortage uh that episode just go aviationcareerspodcast.com slash pilot shortage and that's the episode we did concerning the, the pilot shortage. So if you want to check out about the pilot shortage in our discussion, go there. First question comes in. Uh, it's about career advice for a pending college graduate. It says, hello there. I just turned 22 years old. When I was 10, I knew I was destined to a life in aviation. One day in 2003, I ended up striking a conversation with a gentleman in the same row section of a bookstore as me. He happened to be a Lockheed Martin test pilot. When my dad finally found where I had wandered off to, the test pilot had picked out the book, quote-unquote, Flying the Big Jets, and brought it for me, telling my dad, trust me, he'll be flying someday. Now I'm at my last few quarters at a university and will be wrapping up my communications degree with an emphasis in operational and organizational communications. Uh, that deals with PR, marketing, HR, interpersonal communications, etc. I currently work part-time for a major technology company as an in-store customer technical support. I know after completing my degree, I'll be moving into the career field of aviation, as well as pursuing my private pilot license. Even though I want to fly and I want to work in aviation, I'm not sure that being a career pilot is exactly what I want to do. My question is this. What suggestions might you have as far as ways to make an entrance to the various careers in aviation? In what ways can I use my degree and my work experience as assets to prepare me for this transition? Any insight you may have would be greatly appreciated. I truly enjoy the podcast, and it takes makes my commute much more bearable. Well, I'm glad that that uh, that makes it more bearable your commute and some I really going to say makes my uh, transition into sleep more bearable. Uh, well, no, I hope I'm not putting people to sleep. I know I have a very calming <laughs> voice. I've been told that, but You do have an yeah. extremely soothing voice. Yes, I call. do. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you guys hear to me go to snoring sleep. during this podcast <laughs> for Carl's put me to sleep. Uh, you know, it's funny because it, just as as a funny uh, aside, uh, when I'm flying in the cockpit, a lot of people tell me that when I make my announcements is that, oh, wow, you know, you almost put me to sleep there. We had an emergency, and I was telling people to prepare for landing, and, and people were just like, you know, I was so calmed by that. I just wanted to sleep through the whole emergency. <laughs> it wasn't that you dumped the atmospheric pressure. No, 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 nothing like that. Okay, good, good. Well, anyway, getting to his question, you yeah. know, you know, how can you use his degree uh, and work experience as an asset to prepare me for uh, this transition, Eric? Um. I was surprised to see that the name on this wasn't Carl Valeri. This sounds a lot like you, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, this is a lot like your story. Um, and uh, wow, what an awesome degree! If you want to go into aviation, geez. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, Carl can tell you from the airline perspective, the field as a whole, the industry desperately needs people um, with that particular background um, at multiple levels of um, of airline and airport administration. Um, FBO administration. Um, you've got you know a nationwide network FBOs who rely heavily on the ability for multiple sites in different states, sometimes in different countries, 
to be able to understand inter, interpersonal communication, cultural issues. Um, I mean, goodness gracious, I mean, what a perfect degree uh, to go into that field. And, and the fact that you want to learn to fly, I think, is awesome, too. I mean, it, in our college program, for my administration students, they have to take a, um, a course called Flight Simulation Orientation Lab. You have your option. You can pursue your private pilot certificate if you choose to, or you can do the simulation course. And it's five hours in a simulator, learning basic aircraft control, basically. But I think it's really important that if you're going to be sitting on the other side of the desk, um, that you understand how the aviation environment works. And vice versa, as electives, I encourage all of our pilot students to take aviation airport management electives for the same reason. You really need to understand what the other side of the fence is like. And I, I think um, with the background you've got... Um, it just—it sounds to me like you've really set yourself up for uh, for an, an awesome career opportunity in various levels of the aviation industry, uh, from uh, from day-to-day -day management operations to um, even consulting arrangements, where you can go in and help um, smaller operations um, improve their uh, their interpersonal departments. Because we've got a lot of pilots who are running businesses. They're very good at flying, but their business skills are just not where they need to be, and that's just the cold reality. Um, and I think somebody with your skill level, um, in addition to working for a, you know, a major aviation corporation, could certainly find um, moonlighting work or even make a primary career out of the ability to consult with smaller operators. So, you know, kudos to you. Yeah, I think it's important to find somebody that can actually communicate, uh, especially when you're putting it. Let's just look at an airline. Say you want to work for an airline. Uh, they have manuals. They have people that just are doing communication every day. But things are being updated. Gosh, here at the university, they're being updated every day, and they need people that actually can write. A lot of technical people that know what they're doing uh, but just really can't write very well. So it's nice to have somebody that, that has those interpersonal skills. And uh, PR is a, great, is a great thing to get into. I have a lot of friends that are involved with that in the airlines. It's, uh, you got to remember, the airlines, uh, they focus on, on PR quite heavily uh, because their brand is their life. Uh, that's how they differentiate themselves. That's for sure. Um, so that great question. I I actually think it's going to be interesting to to see how you put the two together. I think it won't be that big of an uh, an issue uh, going forward if you're worried about it because I think you have a lot of great prospects for going forward. So I'm pretty excited to hear your story. Uh, hopefully that's answered your question, and uh, we'll move on to the next one. The next one's actually interesting. I, I took this on as a challenge. Uh, it might seem a little bit uh, negative, uh, so uh, we'll we'll. We'll try to put it in a positive light, too. Uh, there's a lot of questions here. We may not be able to get to every one, but it uh, says, Dear Carl, the topic of the onerous CPT requirement for the ATP written seems unavoidable for a future episode of the Aviation Careers podcast. So as far as the CPT requirement, uh, can you quickly explain that to us, Eric, as far sure. as what, what, so he, what he's talking about? The new ATP CTP requirement, which I know we've talked about in previous episodes, we, don't, we haven't made it a full-on episode um, and maybe it deserves that kind of attention because there's a lot of misconception out there about what it is and how it works. Um, under the new, what everybody calls first officer qualification rule, um, HR 11, whatever, you call it whatever you want to, um, the, one of the things that came out of all of that rulemaking was that people who wanted to take the ATP knowledge test for multi-engine, because now knowledge tests have never been, or in the recent past, been class-specific. You take a private pilot airplane, instrument, helicopter. So they're category-specific, but not class-specific. Under the new rules, it creates a class-specific ATP knowledge test, one for multi-engine and one for single-engine. If you want to take the ATP multi-engine knowledge test um, to do an ATP multi-engine pilot certificate, you have to complete this CTP requirement. And basically what it is is structured ground school, um, and there are requirements on who can teach it and what the topics have to be. Um, but it's um, airline operational topics, um, uh, high-altitude meteorology. Um, I'm trying to think of some of them off the top of my head. There's a whole advisory circular just for that topic. Um, and so it's 30 hours of ground training and then 10 hours of level C or D sim time. Now, there is a little provision in there. You can do some of that sim time in an FTD which obviously is going to be a lot cheaper than running a full motion sim, but you still have a bulk of that training that has to be done in a full motion level C or level D qualified device, um, and it has to be uh, a turbojet. Uh, so there's a, there are a lot of steps there, um, a lot of things to understand, and you know we could spend three episodes just going through the content that's in the advisory circular. Um, from, the per 
from the perspective of certification, as someone who's seeking the certificate, I really encourage you not to get all wrapped up in the details of it. Just if you do, you're gonna you're gonna drive yourself nuts um, trying to understand it. Um, there are, as far as I know of, at the time of this recording, maybe four, maybe five approved CTP programs now. Um, it, but the reason why that's so slow and going, first of all, it's a new process. The FA is having to learn, just like uh, industry is. But 20,000 people took the ATP knowledge test before this rule became effective. Okay, it's going to take a while. I mean, I think they've done maybe 20, 30 ATP knowledge tests since the rule became effective in August. So, I, I mean, and it, there's going to be a while before people are, first of all, being able to get through the CTP program, and they're actually taking the, not, the new knowledge tests and completing the practical training also. So you have this huge buildup of people who took the knowledge test before the rule changed, and now they have two years to get their ATP done, or they're going to have to take the CTP and then the knowledge test. So I guess that's the... That's the quick and dirty version. But if you really get too in-depth in the requirements and all that, find a CTP-qualified provider and don't worry so much about the rest of the details because if you do, you're going to drive yourself crazy. My, this is my, my bias because <laughs> it drives me crazy, and I'm in the business of aviation education. Well, with that said, I mean, it's a great opportunity for uh, folks to get into the training business, but it's going to take a lot of money to go out and get yourself a FTD level C or a level D simulator. Uh, yeah, it requires industry partnerships. Yes. I mean, you can't just go out and drop $15 million. And even even if you could get the equipment, the, just the cost of maintenance, you know, you've got to contract with a, a training center or, um, you know, maybe find a, an, an airline who has a training center who can who is willing to has hours open on the sim when you go in there at 2:30 in the morning and you know get get the time when it's available um, it, it would require something like that and so the CTP model that exists currently I think Embry-Riddle was the, got the first two one for Daytona and one for Prescott and then um, uh, Sporties has a CTP program uh, through a training, but it's a partnership. Sporties doesn't own that equipment. They found a training center. They partnered with him. I was actually talking with Eric Radke from Sporties the other day. Um, Eric's a good friend from my previous life at Glime. And um, we were talking about how that all worked out and what their program is like. And it sounds really interesting. And that's exactly how it's based. It's based on a partnership model. Um, all the discussions we at Polk State have had about the potential to do a CTP down the road have all been in regard to partnership. It's never we're never going to be in a position where I can just write a check for $15 million and then pay to maintain the equipment. If I could do that, I'd buy a brand new fleet of airplanes, not, you know, one training device. Right. That's a good point. I like the fact that you brought up the the partnership idea. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. Uh, you saw that in some of the articles on the Regional Airline Association website. Uh, it's it's a wonderful uh, way for folks to get involved that are at the airlines. Didn't ExpressJet just get their CTP done? I'm pretty sure I read that. Uh, that's a good question. ExpressJet can do the CTP now. Don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that I heard that not I'll, too I'll long ago. I'll find out, though. I, I know some folks there, and uh, we'll give them a call. But that's that's quite interesting. The, and uh, that's at, that's an airline now getting a CTP, if, if I'm correct about that, getting a CTP approved so they can hire, and part of the contingency for hiring would be that you complete the CTP. So they're, again, the FA's mentality from day one um, – when this and again this was a congressional mandate the fa didn't sit down and say you know what we need to do we need to create a ctp no this was a congressional mandate it, the fa had no choice but to comply and this is the program that came out based on the mandate they were given by congress and from day one the assumption was always that the airlines would pick up the training well the airlines aren't going to spend money on training unless the airlines have to spend money on training and if you're a regional carrier like expressjet and you can't get the pilots that you need because of this requirement, you have a motivation now where you're going to have to do that. I would expect to see that, and I've talked to several airlines who are already discussing it. Now, whether it's something they'll move forward with or not, it's at least a discussion point because, you know, if, if you're having a hard time getting people, one of the great ways to get people would be to create this baited carrot, um, you know, and it's a contingent part of hiring it. It's going to resolve in some kind of contractual commitment that you're going to have to meet. Um, anyway, you're much more connected to that than me, Carl. But um, you know where that goes in the future. I mean, are we are we going to see United or Delta having a CTP program? No, no, I don't see that anytime in the near future. But some of the regional carriers, I think you might start to see that, and maybe eventually it trickles all the way up to the, the legacy mainlines. 
And, you know, a, a couple points on that one. Number one, as far as the CTP training is concerned, the airlines actually can make money off of this. And one of the reasons is that they can contract out their simulators, just like you said. Uh, and they already do that. They already are contracting out their simulators to other people. So this is a great opportunity for certain businesses to make money. Uh, as far as as the the CTP at the airlines and which airlines are doing it, uh, not not so sure there. We'll, we'll get that information correct. And maybe we can look it up while, while we're sitting here. But uh, many of the... Uh, this person's questions were, you know, who were the people, you know, what was their motivation behind this ruling? Uh, what was, you know, on what congressional bill was the requirement included? You know, who did, voted for and against it? That's a, There's a lot here, uh, and we don't quite have uh, the time to go through that as far as all those different questions. But, uh, you know, he, he just wanted to identify, you know, who are the people that, that, that were involved with this? And, and, you know, why did they come up with this, this ruling in this way? And, and why did they come up with these requirements? Remember, like Eric said, it was a congressional mandate. And uh, when you have people at such a high level that don't really aren't stakeholders and don't have much experience in aviation, this is what happens. You get, you get certain rules that don't really make a lot of sense. Uh, I understand their intent and, and I, I appreciate their intent, but right now it, it's creating uh, quite the conundrum here. The, as far as the, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and I'm going to bring it up because nobody's asked it, and I've been asked this uh, by lots of people. Uh, remember when I got hired with the airlines, they were doing a thing called pay for training. And uh, basically, we, uh, this was something that uh, you would pay to actually work at an airline. You would pay for the training. The training was actually cost more uh, or pretty close to your first year salary. And so they actually uh, would pay almost as much as they're going to make for their first year. So you may, will you see that again? Possibly. I can't see it happening too much right now because there is such a demand for pilots, especially on the regional level. Could it happen in the future? Sure it could. Uh, they can ask for it. Uh, I hope it doesn't. Uh, you know, for, for most people's sake, but it's, it could happen. It could, we could go back to that, hey, you know, pay for your job, that type of thing. There are airlines that are still doing that. There are still some pay for your job uh, jobs out there. Uh, and, and that's up to you whether you do. I'm not going to get in a whole big discussion. That might be the best for you uh, is to go ahead and, and, and pay for that training and pay to get into that airline. And that, that you could do that. But just look at, at my example. When I was furloughed from the airlines, my salary was so low my first year that I, they were giving me another job at another airline, but the airline I worked for had to pay for that training, and they realized that my annual salary was less than the six-week training course. So they didn't send me there. They actually said, listen, we're going to pay you to stay at home because it's a lot cheaper than sending you to training to fly an airplane. Pretty incredible, isn't it? It is. And I did happen to implement my single pilot resource management skills over here while we're doing the recording. And um, as of November 4th, ExpressJet was approved for a CTP program in Atlanta and in Houston. Um, the current providers, as of the um, recording of this episode, actually as of 11-4-2014, are Embry-Riddle's two campuses, ABX Air, which is the um, contract provider or the, um, the partner of Sporties up in Ohio, um, Aerosim here in Orlando, um, and CAE uh, Semiflight in Dallas. Um, so uh, I got, got that answered. I didn't want to leave that out there and confuse people. So sorry for the dangling fish, but hopefully <laughs> we got the fish off the hook. Yeah, that, and there are – I know of a couple, like you said, with Aerosim who partner with an airline, and it's, uh, it's a great, great opportunity for those folks, that's for sure. Um, there's, you also asked about the people involved in the rulemaking. I, yes, I have friends that were actually involved with this rulemaking and obviously wouldn't throw them under the bus. So what I'm going to do is ask them personally uh, to make some comments on this and, and see if they'll come on or, or maybe uh, just uh, send, send their comments our way. I think it was a, it was a, uh, a good idea uh, uh, or a good uh, intent. It was great intent. Uh, as far as the actual CTP, I don't think that was the greatest idea for them. to The implementation, I don't think, was the best. The the, the intent was there, though. Uh, so I give them credit for that. It's just, again, it's like anything else in politics. It, it goes in one end, you know, in the sausage maker and comes out the other end. And, uh, and you're not getting sausage. You're getting something totally different. Uh, but anyway, thanks for that question. I didn't read all the – I know the person that sent this in uh, wanted to go into a larger discussion on this. We don't really have the time on, on this one episode. There's a lot there. 
but I, what I'll do is I'll start trying to get industry experts in uh, and interview them concerning this. Anyway, moving on to the next question, uh, it comes in concerning a PREA request. Uh, that's the Pilot Records Information Act. Uh, very important uh, to understand the PREA requests. And it's in, the, in his message, he says, Thank you so much for the great resources you provide for those of us in the amazing and crazy career that is aviation. Several months ago, I was flying a twin paired up with another captain, more senior to myself. The other captain was uh, pilot in command and pilot flying when we landed at a large airport just after sunset, and taxing clearance was different than what we expected. I allowed myself to get too focused on our next turn on the taxi diagram and took my focus from monitoring the aircraft position on the taxiway. When I looked back up, we had drifted from the center line and the taxiway, and the right prop was rapidly approaching the taxiway light. Didn't have enough time to react before the prop strike. This was a hard lesson in CRM, to say the least, and cost the company a good prop, but that was the only the aircraft damage. Our company decided to give us both remedial training and return us to flight status, as well as note it in our files. They said that the note would be removed after one year. We are a Part 91 operation. I was wondering if this would show up in a PREA request if I were to apply for another job. Also, as far as I can tell, this does not meet the definition of an accident or incident since it was limited to prop damage. If I'm asked in an interview about accidents or incidents, since this does not meet that threshold for either, I presume I don't bring it up. Thanks again for the great show and resources. Well, Mark, this is a great question. And uh, concerning what's in your let, – let's talk first about the PREA request and, and what's in your, your personnel file. When something is in your personnel file, one of the things that you need to take responsibility for is making sure it's out of your personnel file. Uh, you'd be surprised – at how many letters are in people's personnel files. Pilots that are actually have a lot of integrity but once made a mistake and that item goes in their personnel file. You can have that expunged or, or like the person said, it's going to come out of your file. Just make sure they do that and, and make sure it is out of your file because when the pre-request happens and they see this letter and you said, no, I haven't had an incident or accident in the past and this comes through the system, uh, they're going to say, hey, wait a minute, you thought you said you didn't have an incident or accident and uh, or there's nothing in your personnel file. No, no, uh, n no letters, no uh, remedial action, that type of thing. Um, as far as the records, as far as your training, uh, they will pull that. Uh, if there is a record of, of like you said, uh, any type of training, that's going to be pulled from your file. So you may you may have to explain that. Uh, but have a good explanation. Uh, it You could have, uh, I'll give you a good example. A friend of mine crashed a regional, and uh, he was able to explain his way out of what he had done. And he's now flying for the majors. So don't think that, you know, this is with the passengers on board crashed and then was able to go on to the airlines uh, and, and fly. Just have a good explanation as to why was the crash and uh, the one I'm talking about actually involved a failure of a system and uh, and, the, and nobody got injured uh, through this this crash. So make sure you're able to explain that. So that, that's quite important. Uh, Prior requests are something that you should you should also do a couple things. You should also find out what's in your FAA file before you go to the interview. And that's uh, that's a, something you should be on right now and say, hey, what is in my file? Do I have any incidents or accidents on my file? If you do not, uh, then you just say, no, I don't have those. But do that now. Go that out there and check that out. Any other suggestions you'd have, uh, Eric? No, I think that's that's the main thing. Um, knowing Knowing what's in your personnel file, very important. Knowing what's in your FAA records, terribly important. I've talked to a lot of pilots who have, um, you know, they've had mishaps here and there. I, I knew a guy who actually had a fuel starvation um, uh, in the trees. He and another person in the airplane uh, got out, minor injuries. Um, and, of course, it was reported as an accident. Um, but for some reason, and I, I don't know what the particulars were, um, this person went for an interview and said he didn't have any accident history. It's like, um, why? Why would you do that? I mean, it's it's in your it's going to be in your FA record. Do not go to an airline interview for that. Don't go to a corporate interview. Don't go to work. Don't go to a corporate flight department job interview having not ever seen your FA record. And I think there's there are a lot of pilots out there who don't know that you can request it and get a copy of it. Never ever ever go to a professional aviation pilot oriented interview if you have not looked at your FA record. Um, it's like my dad, um, every year, runs a credit report on himself. Every year. Um, just 
because he wants to know what's uh, is something miraculously show up on his credit. Is he flagged for something that's not supposed to be there? Um, and I, I mean, I'm not suggesting you pull your FA record every year, but yeah, if you're going to go for a job interview, get your FA record, do it. I mean, it's it's like a pre-buy on an airplane. Would you buy an airplane if you hadn't requested its law, its maintenance records from the FA? Well, of course you wouldn't. That's it's insane. Um, don't don't go to a professional pilot interview if you haven't seen your FA record. Make sure that it's accurate. Make sure you know what's in there. And a further point to that, a lot of people are listening that are airline pilots with the regionals moving on to the majors, and they're concerned about the fact that they filled out an ASAP. Uh, this is a safety reporting program that's uh, set up within uh, the airline, usually with cooperation of the FA management and also probably their union. Uh, this is something that you need to look into. If you have filed the ASAP report, kind of like a NASA report, and you want to know if that actually made it to the FAA, uh, and was not protected, the easiest way is to go get your FAA records to find out. There are many, many ASAPs that are filed that never get to that level. If something is not accepted within the ASAP program, uh, you have done something fairly egregious, uh, either purposeful uh, or incredibly negligent, uh, that it wasn't accepted, say, into the NASA reporting program. So those uh, those instances will always be in your record. You need to really explain those uh, right. as to why why that happened. And that's uh, that's practice. You know, we had Judy Tarver on here before talking about practice, practice, practice for that airline interview. Going to the next question. Thanks so much for that question. That was awesome. The um, next question comes in and says, Carl, I just wanted to throw a note your way to express my deep gratitude for all you do at Aviation Careers Podcast. I really appreciate your enthusiasm and encouragement to us listeners to do that one thing today that advances you towards your aviation career goal. This year, I've, ma- I've kept hearing you say that phrase in my head, and I was trudging along my path. I hear that every day, too. Every time I get discouraged, I just tell myself to do that one thing. Do one thing. thing. You know, it's interesting. People had asked me where I came up with that, and uh, it's not... It's interesting. May I, I interviewed someone and said, oh, did you listen to so-and-so, uh, who is somebody who does a lot of uh, seminars? I I actually uh, used to say that in my business. You know, we, we would every day want to try to sell something and, you know, always do something today to move you forward. I think it also was from listening to a lot of tapes and uh, there's many different organizations that use that. There's uh, and I've listened to hundreds of tapes on success, etc. And uh, that comes up often. You know, it's just keep moving forward, keep going, keep moving. I think there's a guy that does uh, some exercise videos who says the same thing. Just keep it moving. I haven't taken his advice yet on that keep it moving thing, as you can tell by my waist size. But it's getting there. You know, I feel <laughs> like um, I don't even know what my debt is now, but. Every time I say that to a student, I do make a tally mark so I can send you the appropriate royalty check. Oh, awesome, so, awesome. Um, so, you, so. I, that, I didn't know if you guys knew that. That is actually a trademarked Carl Valeri phrase. <laughs> so you have to be careful if you say that. Carl will come after you, and he does it to me all the time. He's like, yeah. Eric, you know, you haven't really paid your bill lately, so you, you owe me lunch today. <laughs> He's joking, by the way. That's a yeah. joke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just so I don't get in trouble. With that the didn't really sound there. as sarcastic yeah. as it no, was supposed it did. to. Sorry. That's <laughs> a joke. He is joking That's a joke. on that one. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it really is true. Just do something, uh, something small. Uh, let's move on to er, into his questions here. It says, a little background about me, the listener. I earned my private pilot certificate in 1983, and like so many, life got busy and with three kids, work, etc. And in all this time, I've only accumulated less than 100 hours total time. While I didn't fly, I always kept a passionate interest in it and have never let my AOP membership expire anxiously awaiting every month's new issue of Pilot Magazine to arrive. Wonderful magazine. Very encouraging. Love AOPA. Uh, Well, my kids are finally getting out of college, and things have settled down a bit, and I want to do more. So this year, I set my mind to actually getting where I want to go. I've done a lot of teaching of technical courses in the last few years. I'm a CPA and have taught classes all over the U.S. and found that I love teaching. With that in mind, I would really love to become a flight instructor. I can't think of anything better than sharing my passion for flying with new students, introducing them to the joys of flying that all of us pilots already know is one of the coolest endeavors anyone can have. I really like this guy. I love this guy. I automatically um, like this guy. Yeah, I want to be a student. Uh, you can teach me how to land anytime. The, uh, and he needs it. 
And believe me, I do. And this is so awesome. I love this story. This this is uh, the, this is the type of person that should become a flight instructor. By the way, uh, he continues to start me on this journey with your encouragement. Since April, I have studied for, taken, and passed. Number one, the fundamentals of instructing. Number two, the instrument rating airplane. Number three, the ground instructor instrument. And number four, the ground instructor advanced FA knowledge test. You need to come All inspire my scores. students. I think I need <laughs> this guy. I need his contact information. I need him here as a guest speaker send, next semester. Send your resume, and you might be working here at Polk State soon. <laughs> uh, I went to the FISDO this morning and brought home with me a temporary airman certificate for my new ground instructor certificate with advanced and instrument ratings. I've attached a photo just for fun. Thanks for doing that. That was awesome. Well, in the aviation world, a couple of ground instructor certificates doesn't mean a whole lot, to, but to me, it's a huge accomplishment. Honestly, I think it does mean a lot it to does. have those ground instructor certificates. And, and there's many reasons, but one of them, you know, get your gold seal, et cetera. And also, uh, it's important to have that ground instructor if you want to make money right away as, an, as a teacher without having your CFI. For all those years I couldn't fly, I just kept wishing I could be a CFI and thought how great an accomplishment that would be, and it sure is. My current plan is to now continue with training on the instrument rating and then onto the commercial and CFI certificates, hopefully to be completed over the next couple years. For those who wonder about timing and age, I say go for it. I will celebrate a birthday in a little more than a week. I'll be 56 years old. I know I'll never fly for the airlines or likely even a full-time pilot position, but if I can attain my goal of becoming a CFII, that would be a pinnacle of what I want to achieve in an aviation career. I could easily teach part-time until retirement from my regular job and closer to full-time after that. That would be an ideal post-retirement job for me. Sorry this is so long, but I really wanted to say thank you for your continuing encouragement to everybody out there. Thanks. Well, that was an awesome story 56 years old it's never too late to get into this and don't don't discount the fact that you could be flying full-time for somebody i know a lot of folks that are flying around corporate aircraft that are in their 50s and that's when they got their start flying might be flying a seminal for somebody uh but you never know what it might end up doing because i know somebody started off in a seminal he's flying a jet right now uh, because that person's business grew tremendously. Uh, as far as being a teacher, it's it's probably the one, one of the most important things in life in general is being a teacher. And being a teacher of flight, you are the one that's enhancing and advancing our future aviators. And there's no more important job than that. Uh, there's somebody that's listening right now that I'm glad is, has heard this story. Is actually a student at the at Polk State College, which is where we're we're recording right now, and is wondering if he wants to get his CFI. I say to everybody, yes, get that flight instructor certificate because every time you're in an airplane, you can actually make money because you there's always somebody that needs to get a flight review. Hey, I need to do some instrument approaches. Hey, okay, let's go for it. Let's do some instructing right now. So get Did the CFI. Did you talk to him the other day when you were here? Yeah, just now. It's, I, yeah. It, it's it's such a great story. Actually, as, as you were reading this, I was thinking about that particular student. He's in the exact same position uh, that you are, exact same issues with life and then with work, and there was always a reason why it didn't continue. And he really doubled down his efforts. Um, I, if he's not the same age as you, he's a little bit younger than you, um, uh, maybe a year or two. And uh, it's the exact same situation. Um, and he is about to finish up his commercial with us. Um, and uh, is already enrolled in the flight instructor uh, flight training lab for next semester. So I'm thrilled for him. I'm thrilled for you. Uh, thank you for, for understanding the importance of getting your ground instructor certificate. It's actually one of the things we require of our flight instructor applicants here. If you want to train here, uh, one of the things that you have to do before you can become a flight instructor here is obtain your ground instructor certificate, uh, at least one of them. We encourage you to get the AGI and the IGI. Um, but we, we require all of our in-house trained instructors to work as a ground instructor for at least three months before we'd consider them for hiring as a flight instructor um, for a couple of reasons. One, because if you can get that experience as a ground instructor, your CFI oral is going to be a piece of cake because you've already gotten the experience doing the teaching. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, you know, 96% of statistics are made up, but I, I have heard, I've heard from the Orlando FISDO, which does a tremendous amount of C, initial CFI training, that 80% of the CFI certificates that fail, fail in the oral. Um, that, that's where the weakness is. Um, because by that point, you should be able to fly an airplane. 
right? I mean, it's in that in that ability to take what you know as a pilot and transition it to the ability to teach it to someone else. And by building that experience as a ground instructor, you're setting yourself up for a much easier. Having done that myself, that was my. I did the exact same thing. I taught ground school and uh, at, at Middle Tennessee State University for I think a, I think it was a full semester before I finished my flight instructor certificate. And my CFI oral was a joke. I mean, not to make light of it, but I mean, it was just, it was nothing after having taught, you know, four courses over a semester. Goodness gracious. It was, it was ridiculous. It was so simple. Um, and the, the, I actually, I was more worried about the flight than I was about the ground, um, which is, it's usually completely the opposite way around. Um, anyway, I think this is great. And I, I would encourage you if you're looking for that opportunity to get started, um, sooner or whatever, um, if you have a, if you have a bachelor's degree, um, you can teach at a high school. If you know of high school programs that are interested in aviation in your area, we certainly have tons of them in Central Florida that are looking for opportunity to teach an elective science class. Um, with that, with your ground instructor certificate and a bachelor's degree, you can get credentialed to teach in high school. Um, that's an option that you know may interest you. Um, and uh, you know beyond that, uh, if you're looking for other opportunities, we as a college. We really value ground instruction. We do hire ground instructors. There are some flight schools that don't, that will only hire people with a flight instructor certificate. But look for schools. Look for those opportunities because they're there. there there's always a need at the local airport for somebody to come out and teach a private pilot ground school because flight instructors, right, wrong, and different, would rather be in the airplane than they would be on the ground. That's a huge opportunity for you to come in and help people prepare for their knowledge tests or get ready for their um, for the oral portion of their practical test. Another big opportunity there. Um, and so I really encourage you to, to get involved. And if you're looking at, well, how can I become a flight instructor as soon as humanly possible? I don't know if you've considered it, um, but with a private pilot certificate, you can become a sport pilot flight instructor. Um, if you're interested in you know, going ahead and getting the initial ticket, um, I don't know if you have access to light sport aircraft where you are, um, but with a sport or private pilot certificate, you can be a light sport flight instructor. You can't you know, instruct in Cessna's, you have to instruct in light sport aircraft and only for the sport pilot certificate, but it is an opportunity. And so don't, don't think that you, you know, the only thing I have to do this and I can't do any teaching for two years because there's certainly opportunities out there uh, for you uh, right now. So take advantage of them and kudos to you on your outstanding attitude and for putting your shoulder down and, and getting this accomplished. Yeah, that story is awesome. And the person that wrote in, boy, if you could just let me know if I could share that on the website. I think it's such a neat story. Uh, so I, I like to read stuff like that over and over just to encourage myself. Uh, so, But I really do appreciate that. Moving on to our next question, it's uh, talking about converting licenses from Canadian to American. Uh, it says, good day, Carl. It's been a while since I last wrote you, and I think I have something worth getting your feedback on. I've been working hard on my training over the last year. I'm currently working on my commercial license with plans to get my instructor rating immediately after, which will lead into a full-time position at my school and my first pilot job. Both my wife and I have been working hard at establishing our career paths, and she's recently been informed of a potential promotion, which includes a move to Alaska for one year, possibly two. She works for an international oil and gas company, and if she takes a position, she'll be stacking her resume to the point where she could handpick her next position within the organization and further her career advancement. This is an incredible opportunity for her. However, I'm not sure what that would mean for me flying. I would absolutely love the opportunity to get to be some flying experience in Alaska. However, I'm not sure how easy it would be to convert my license over and continue my career path and do some instructing while abroad. I've been doing some research online and I've found some information regarding a certificate issued on the basis of a foreign license where the FAA will contact Transport Canada and confirm my licensing, following up with some meetings and providing all my documents for verification. This sounds all well and good. However, my understanding this looks like it's designed more towards Canadian private pilots wanting to fly N-registered aircraft while on holidays, as an example, as opposed to commercial pilots looking to work as flight instructors on a one- to two-year visa. Feel free to contact me if you have any questions, as I'd love to get as much information I can about uh, my research. One piece to add, the position of start date was March 1st, 2015. I'm not sure this is going to be enough time to transfer everything over, especially if I'm currently in the middle of my commercial pilot training. Thanks for all the hard work 
you and your team have been doing with both podcasts lately. I think you deserve a holiday with Len. I think you're right. <laughs> I, I think, think I think that's a great. I think idea. that's exactly what I, we. I think we should all take a vacation and go hang out with Len. I that's think we should, and, and especially now that he's ballooning in Thailand. Um, and that's for another episode. But uh, hey, awesome, awesome email. Um, there, you know, my past experience converting your your pilot certificate is not really that difficult. Uh, and uh, and but you know, of course, the green card and the, the work issue is another issue. Uh, but uh, you know, I've had people that converted their certificates to U.S. and it's been you know fairly straightforward. Now you know, working uh, for in the U.S. is another issue. I've done this in the past, uh, but usually the school will sponsor somebody on their M1 visa. Uh, I think Eric might have some information on this. Well, I, when I was at uh, Gline Publications, one of the big projects that we took on when uh, Canadian reciprocity first became a thing um, was to build custom knowledge tests around um, the requirements to, to do that transition stuff. Um, I will say there's a lot of great information um, on the Glime website. There's a lot of information. Anyway, I, I know the information on the Glime website is pretty good because I, I helped write a little bit of it. Um, and uh, anyway, the, the process, like Carl said, is, is pretty simple. There's really not a lot to it. Um, as long as you've got all your paperwork, that it's really not that big of a deal. It's a trip to the FISTO. It's not a huge undertaking. But like everything else with the FAA, the thing that will trip people up is the you know the lack of this i don't have this form or this thing wasn't signed by the right person or whatever it's it's bureaucracy i think more than anything else that that does the slowdown it really doesn't take that long either um because again the whole point of that agreement uh, being a bilateral agreement was that it it expedited actually the process because the fa's been doing certificates based on foreign pilot certificates for i don't know a long time a really long time many 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 years this agreement is specific with transport canada and what it does is ex it's like the fast lane it's like express checkout in the grocery store um it, it actually expedites and clarifies the process uh, to do the conversion so like you said the whole right to work and all that's a whole other animal entirely but the the certificate conversion process um from you know the limited experience i've had from the side of training providing I, i've never done it operationally obviously um it seems pretty straightforward to me and the people who have gone through that process who reported back to me um, said it was no issue again it was all about having the right paperwork and being prepared for your FISDO visit yeah, that's a, some awesome information. By the way, don't worry about it. It's pretty easy. He actually got back to me, and I think the company that uh, his wife is working with is uh, is going to help them out. So that's that's awesome, and that that happens quite quite a bit too. Uh, I think we have uh, room for one more question. Actually, it's more of a statement, and it's going to go back to something we were talking about before with partnering with airlines. Uh, it's uh, somebody wrote in and said. Uh, he actually went to uh, the Academy Aeroism, uh, Aerosim, excuse me, Aerosim, uh, in New York City to one of their open houses. So let me start here. It says, I had a super amazing time today at the B&Airline Airline Pilot Expo today at the Intrepid Air and Space Museum. By the way, if you go to that museum, no matter what, it's really cool, and it's right there in New York City, and uh, there's some great places to get some, some uh, pizza right down the street. It's uh, Hell's Kitchen Pizza, by the way. It's not far from there. It's one of my favorite pizza shops. So... As I've got a side to go up. to the city with you sometime yes. and get you to show me yes. all the places that I need to go to. Because when I go to New York, I'm a tourist. I need to go with a local well, and find I, out, you know, Eric, go here, go there. Stay away from that place. <laughs> nope, nope. This 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 block here, you want to stay away from there. Because I don't know. I, I stumble into those places all the time. Yeah, things have changed quite a bit in New York. Uh, you know, the Hell's Kitchen is, is a different area. And there's so much aviation history in New York City. And we could just do a tour of, of aviation history around there. The Air and that Space Museum like a good is a podcast topic. That, uh, you know, that is a good that's <laughs> what, that's what, what, a what good we've idea. So far? We've got to go to the Airbus factory in Toulouse. Yes. We've got this uh, uh, aviation tour of New York. Um Boning in Thailand. Thailand. Farm yeah. I think we we're all yep. gonna meet up there. Yeah, so I think that's where we're gonna introduce ourselves was at Farm I think that sounds Yeah, that's a, that was that was a very practical way for all of us to get together and meet each other. Yeah, and Carl was gonna fund it, right? Yes, sure. Yeah. I'll get you out there. Buddy yeah. pass. The uh, buddy, pass. buddy pass. I don't listeners, don't count on it because I've been asking for buddy passes. I guess what that means is that Carl's not my buddy. I thought no, no, Carl was my trust buddy. Trust me, but. you are. I've run out of him. 
<laughs> Carl has too uh, many friends. That's uh, the problem. Way too many uh, relatives that want to go places, actually. But anyway, that's another point. <laughs> and when you do get to an airline, you get these buddy passes. Everybody thinks it's a wonderful thing. It really isn't. I mean, if you like waiting around airports for days, it's okay. But uh, Your airline's good. Yeah. Uh, yes, I agree. Most are not. Yes. No, Most no. are you're going to be sitting there for two days <laughs> hoping that someone will not show up so you can true, take the true. last row seat that doesn't recline right by the lab. <laughs> and that's that's where you're going to sit if you're riding buddy seat. <laughs> that's for sure. But anyway, getting back to his his comment here, he had uh, again. He said he had a great time at the the Air, be an airline pilot uh, day at the Intrepid Air and Space Museum. Uh, the day began with some promotional videos about Aerosim and some refreshments. I took the time to talk to Scott, an admissions counselor, and Sherry, the head of human resources. Besides promoting their company, Aerosim also had a recruiter and captain of PSA Airlines there. He gave a presentation as well, and I got to meet with him one-on-one after, as well as exchanging contact information. I never before got to have that much time with a commercial pilot discussing what it's like to be a pilot. One of the admission counselors of Aerosim offered me a full-day trial out of their location in Sanford, Orlando Sanford Airport. He said we can do the Sims and fly at no cost. Uh, Another... uh, sim company actually uh, charged for that type of intro flight uh what stood out to him is that it's an accredited school by the department of education and takes federal pell grants stafford loans through fafsa and federal programs they also said that they partnered up with an airline university for their atp ctp ratings just like we were talking before for their students to go out there and fly a full motion a320 simulator I also noticed that the majority of the people there were older than me, and there were people from every background. It was awesome to chat with so many people with different backgrounds and notice how excited they were all as and so happy and thrilled talking about flying. I met a distribution center manager from Colombia, an English teacher from Turkey, and a nurse from Asia. It was amazing. Wow. We all had a burning passion for aviation. I found it eye-opening that folks from such different backgrounds were still united with the same feelings. An absolutely wonderful time today, and we'll keep you updated. I plan to head out to Orlando to check out the Academy. Thanks, and looking forward to your next podcast. That's awesome. By the way, Orlando, Sanford, that's where I got my commercial single-engine uh, pod, uh, single engine pr- uh, rating and also worked on my multi-engine rating out there. Awesome airport. By the way, we're going to see more and more of this uh, CTP, just like you said, and Academy's working. I, I think Aerosim, I haven't been out there, but would love to have them on at some point, and I'd love to go visit at some time. That's a great story. Uh, it's great to go to these events where you're – you're actually encouraged by other airline pilots that actually like their jobs. I know uh, recently I was uh, somebody had said they were searching the internet for at some of the forums, and there's yeah, so do many different. <laughs> don't yeah. do that. Well, there's good and bad at the forums. It's just like anything else. Uh, I try to take the positives and find out what people like. Uh, most of the time, when people don't like something, it's uh, they're just complaining. Every so often, they have some great, you know, interesting grievances, and and they're correct. And it is a challenge of the job, but. Uh, you wouldn't get into the job if if that wasn't a challenge. It's neat also about the airline job. This is something that I love about this job is that I get to experience things with people from all over the world, from all many different walks of life, and talk about things that that you never would be able to talk about unless you were in such mixed company. Uh, the other day I was talking to somebody. He actually works fixing boats, and uh, he knew a lot about boats, and I learned so much from him during this whole four-day trip. Also talked to people that are in the food business, some people that actually have dry cleaning businesses, guys that live in Alaska and do flying in Alaska, a lot of general aviation pilots, so people from all different backgrounds, nurses, engineers, uh, people that were mathematicians that moved into aviation. The neat thing about this job is there are so many people from so many walks of life that come towards it, and it's just such a blast to hear all those different stories. You know, you look at, uh, we're sitting here in Polk State College, and I know Eric could probably tell you more than me, but you have people here that are students that come from the military. You have people from all over the world. I don't know what other examples to give, but there are Venezuela, Venezuela, Colombia, Brazil. Uh, Wow. Wow. And these people all have such amazing stories. And it's so, so much fun to listen to these folks. And and it's very encouraging to, to hear about the different cultures and to hear them because they're, they're so upbeat about this, this, this career. Well, Eric, that looks like that's about all the time we have. You actually have work to do, unlike me. Yeah, it's well, my day it's, off. It's stage check season. Oh, you know? my gosh. You got to, it's time to be a check pilot. I, 
And Carl and I have talked about this before. I, I despise evaluation. Mm-hmm. I love instructing. I love being able to teach. But to have to sit there and just watch and not be able to, you know, right rudder, right rudder, right rudder. You, I mean, you can't. You can't. You have to sit there and be quiet because you're evaluating. You're, you're seeing what the uh, pilot applicant skills are. And so that, while in, in the one hand, it, it's a little frustrating because I really do like providing instruction. On the other hand, it's just really, really cool because they complete that with you. Like I, right now, it's cross country season, so um, you know they 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 fly with me or with some of the other check instructors, and uh, and then. They go on solo cross countries. They 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 leave they leave the nest as it were and go and you know fly to a different tree. And I think that's just really really cool. Um, or when you're doing the first stage check in the curriculum and then you know the next flight they go out and they solo and they come in and they're so excited. It's infectious and it doesn't matter what else you have to do. I mean I could I could spend 23 hours a day cleaning toilets and if I got to see one person come in and go through that experience of being congratulated for their solo, having their shirt cut off, um, and just the, the excitement is is so, so infectious. It makes anything you have to do worth it. Um, I happen to love my job like you do, so it makes it easier to do it. Um, but uh, it's a busy time of year, but it's also a really rewarding time of year. So, You know, it is it is a busy time of the year. And, you know, speaking towards those, those checks, I, I know there's a few students here that – they really don't like having those check rides done by you, like especially. I didn't like going through. <laughs> nobody likes. You like going through a current, Carl? I mean, no, no, who no. likes that? No, it's terrible. But it's it's part of the process. And, and I think that's one of the really important factors about um, stage checks and evaluations and training. Because guess what? Your entire professional life in aviation is going to be recurrent evaluation. It doesn't matter where you go, what you do. You're going to be checked. You go to a different provider, you're going to be checked again. Uh, so you got to get used to it. It's one of those things you just kind of have to get used to. But um, you know, it's it got to the point where even flying with the FAA, it's you know, there's that the night before where you're like, okay, well, you know, tomorrow's the big day. But there's no, you know, you have the skills. You just have to answer the questions the right way and, and demonstrate what you know. So um, it it's it's not fun, you know, being on that side of it by any means. But but if you look at it with the right attitude, it's really educational, and it can really improve your abilities as a pilot and an instructor, for that matter. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it really is important to get used to doing those uh, stage checks. It's uh, yeah, used to. I don't know if that's a good term, but you will you will be getting checked all the time at the airline that I work for. Uh, I looked at it. I'm getting a test every month at least. You're taking some exam, a written exam, recurrent. Uh, we're doing at least four tests every year. And then you have the recurrent training. So, and then you have some other types of training. So you're gonna you're gonna go to South America. So you have other types of training you have to go through. So, yeah, it's it's one part of this career that I think we probably haven't talked about enough is the fact that it is you are constantly being evaluated more than any other uh, career that I know of, uh, even even with physicians. Well, Eric, this has been fun. It's been a lot of fun. This Thanks is awesome. For having me on. I'm sorry it's been so long since we've been able to get together, but. Uh, we schedule and something comes up, and uh, but it's really fun to get to talk to you and get to answer listener email. I mean, I like talking to you anyway, but hearing these stories and 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 seeing where people are and the fact that they are doing that one thing every day they need to do, it's it's just like seeing somebody solo. It's really encouraging to me. So uh, to those of you listening, I really appreciate the stuff that you send in. Those of you that contact me directly, I really appreciate it. I enjoy the opportunity to talk to you on Twitter or by email or whatever, and. You know, uh, there are a lot of things when it comes to the airline segment, for example. You know, that's that's Carl's background. Um, the airline thing never interested me. Well, it did when I was a kid. But then when I actually got into training, I was like, oh, I think the corporate thing is more my style. Um, like Tom Wachowski and I could be best friends. Well, we'd probably, yeah. we could sit around and talk about airplanes and what all day long because um, that that industry segment is just so amazing to me. I like what the airlines do. I think it's an amazing career choice. It's just not for me. And um, I guess that goes back to the the first question we had, you know, finding what those options are and finding your niche in aviation because goodness knows there's so many. I had no idea. I thought you just you did all this training so you could become an airline pilot. I had no idea there were all these other options. And I've done a lot of them. And, you know, education is my niche. That's that's where I'm most happy, and I feel like that's where I make the biggest contribution. Um, and uh, so I encourage all of you to keep doing that, and please keep sharing your stories because it uh, it gives me the fuel I need to keep doing what I'm doing. So thanks very much. 
and keep giving us stories because it, it, it is the fuel that feeds those that are listening right now, too. I think uh, that's really encouraging for us, but also for you, the listener, to hear other people and realize you're not alone. There's other people that are going through the same challenges that you are and are interested in doing the same things you are. Well, folks, this is uh, it comes to the end of this podcast. I hate to do that. I could talk for another hour at least. We have about another hour of questions, actually. If you didn't hear yours answered, that'll be on the next one. I'm trying really hard to get these out on a weekly basis. We're back in the groove again, so, so we're going to try really, really hard to get those questions out. You may just hear me on talking about them, but I usually like to have a guest while we're answering these. Also, of course, we have the uh, Aviation Scholarship of the Week. It's called Navigate Your Future Scholarship through the National Air Transport Association, and that scholarship goes to somebody uh, who's actually planning a career and is a senior in high school. So again, this is going to somebody. I know a lot of folks want scholarships for for uh, people that are older and they're out there. Uh, it's uh, it's just the majority again are, are for people that are in high school or in college right now. So this is for a college uh, applicant and uh, or somebody who's in high school and, and looking to be a college applicant. So check it out at the bottom of this episode at uh, aviationcareerpodcast.com/slash/seventy-five. Well, folks, uh, again, I always try to encourage you to do one thing, one thing today, something small, something big, to move forward in your career, move you towards your career goal. Remember, it is a varied path, and you know, I didn't realize I'd love being an airline pilot. I, I knew I'd, I'd like it, but I like it more than I thought I would, And uh, but you may not. You may think uh, being a corporate pilot or being a flight instructor is the best thing for you. All I ask you is to keep an open mind, do something now, read a book, you know, take a, an exam, go out to a website, research a school, research a job that might interest you, listen to these podcasts, listen to other podcasts about aviation careers, and, and be, get encouraged by those people. And, and do that. Do that right now. If you're driving, of course, stop the car. But if you're, if you're sitting in your seat listening to this at home, write, write something down. Uh, call somebody, call your friend, get somebody who can also encourage you. Pick somebody who, who's actually encouraging, not somebody who's discouraging. Find something that you can, somebody that you can share your goals with and your dreams. Be very careful. That's something that I learned, is to find those people that you can share your dreams with that will be supportive of you, not just your dreams, but of you. Well, folks, really appreciate you talking to you, and we'll see you next episode of the Aviation Careers Podcast. Carl Valeri and Eric Crump right here at Polk State College. Thanks again, Eric. Bye, guys. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.